Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Daily Telegraph columnist, Studio 10 host, still strongly opposed to nude surfing. Humans of Twitter is their stories, in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Joe Hildebrand. Hey, Steve. How you going? I'm very well, Joe. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I'm certainly not interesting or surprising or any of those other words that you said. I usually just say, hi, I'm Joe. Joe, please. You certainly fall into the opinionated category. I, I am opinionated, I guess, but that's only because I'm paid to be. <laughs> no, usually, usually I'm very meek. There are worse things to be paid to do, aren't there? I reckon it's probably the best job in the world, except that occasionally you just run out of opinions and someone asks you something about something and just go, you know what? I really don't care. I just don't care. Just live your life. Be free. I just could not give a rat. Go and hug a bit of clover. That's right. Although technically I think that uh, does violate the Telegraph's official editorial position. But we may be talking about different types of clover. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, you are a bad man. Joe, in those social settings, well, firstly, do you have them often? You're a very busy guy. Uh, I'm very busy, yes. I work a lot. I've got about a billion different jobs. Um, but I, uh, uh, in my normal life, I am a recluse. And I think that little ding that you heard, I don't know if you heard it, that was someone sending me yet another email telling me I've stuffed something up or done something wrong. <laughs> But yes, I have many bosses, and so not least of which is my wife and two-year-old child. But um, but no, these days I tend to confine myself to my backyard, underneath the flight path, with the occasional <laughs> the occasional Seven Eleven to Penrith rattling through on the train line. You li we live in an age now, Joe, where I mean, your jobs uh, mm. are ones that warrant a lot of feedback anyway, yes. you know, uh, writing columns, being on TV, doing that sort of stuff. People are going to have a, a say, have a thinks, have thoughts, sorry, about what you say. Uh, but in this newly connected world full of social media people, you must be just empowered and encouraged by the constant feedback you get. Uh, no, definitely neither empowered nor encouraged. In fact, more a state of constant terror. Um, it's... <laughs> I much I much preferred the old ivory tower model where people would just speak <laughs> down to the plebs from on high, and they yes. just have to lump it. Now that they've started revolting, you know, I, I think we're all in a lot of trouble. I'm starting to just, you know, get the bulwarks and the ramparts all just nice and order, and then I've realised that I don't have an army, so I'm pretty much screwed, Steve. Look, an army starts with just one member, doesn't it? And you've created <laughs> one of those. That's right. Well, what do they say? The, the book I'm reading to my the kid at the moment says, you know, for want of a nail, and then it goes on, there was a horseshoe, then there was the horse, then there was the army, and then so for want of a war, uh, for want of a nail, the war was lost. And that's how, I, that's how I feel like life is these days. What was school like for you, Joe? Uh, school was pretty interesting. I went to um, uh, two very good uh, public schools in Dandenong outside of Melbourne, not the Dandenongs, which everyone seems to – confuse it with but just Dandenong singular which is a kind of for Sydney listeners it's the sort of Bankstown of Melbourne if you like uh, very sort of 
diverse, uh, very lower socioeconomic or what we used to be able to call poor before political correctness <laughs> came in. Um, so I grew up with a single mom on the pension, um, uh, very poor suburb, but um, mm. she was a good, good, good mom. And um, school was, uh, let's just say I wasn't the most normal child there. <laughs> what what was what was your normal? Well, I was raised by hippies, Steve, and mm. and despite Danny Nong's great uh, diversity, it hadn't quite extended to the children of Woodstock, <laughs> <laughs> and and so I had, uh, which I, I've detailed uh, in my uh, critically acclaimed but very underpurchased book. Um, <laughs> That uh, that when you're raised by a sort of uh, an American troubadour who sings folk songs and plays the banjo, and my mum who was a sort of you know we shall not be moved kind of true believer, and still mm. works as an integration aide uh, with troubled kids at my um, the primary school I went to. Um, it's it's fair to say there was a lot of carob and not much chocolate, if you know what I mean. Oh. Yes, I hear you. But um, but, but it was you know, but, but it was the, the, my mum was very very good, but mm. um, she didn't prepare me for, I suppose, the mainstream uh, of of life. Certainly not life in Dandenong. Maybe maybe I would have been better off growing up in Byron Bay. But you know, then I wouldn't have had the luxury of hating hippies as much as I do now. <laughs> You would have been part of the problem then, Joe. Well, for a long time I was, Steve. For a long time I was. I had I had long flowing hair uh, and that was just in grade six. Uh, we had a relief Excellent. teacher come in um, who uh, presented us with several exercises and when I uh, answered one question correctly, he said, good girl. Oh. Ooh. That, um, well, look, it, it sounds rough, but I, I responded by doing the only thing that um, a, a real girl could. And burst into tears, <laughs> which I think ruled me out of selection for the Danny Nong Red Legs under twelve football team. Yeah, you were never playing full forward. Then. No, I was, I was. I did a bit of um, back pocket for a while, but yeah. even then, I struggled to get three quarters. Feisty back pocket, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I played angry. <laughs> Are you now living the life that year 11 Joe thought you would be? Uh, no, no. Year 11 Joe thought that I would be a, uh, well, he thought that I would not talk about myself in the third person, so I failed that <laughs> test. Um, but no, I, I, I used to dream of being a rock and roll star and then as I got older, um, I realised that wasn't going to happen, so I dreamed of being a country music star because that seemed to be more of an age demographic that a, a middle-aged man could fit into. Mm. And then now that that has passed, um, I, I pretty much just dream of paying the mortgage. But um, but I've been very lucky. I've been very, very lucky. And I've had good people along the way who have helped me, um, who have helped compensate for my complete and utter lack of ambition <laughs> around anything that didn't involve dreaming of me being on stage uh, well, this is another problem. It's hard to be a rock and roll star when you play the piano. There's pretty much been about two. Elton John and Billy Joel yeah. and pretty much that's it. The ticket's full. So 
if I had learned to play the guitar better, maybe I would have been a rock and roll star. But I didn't. So now I'm a now I'm a washed up journo. Do you still play? I do a bit, yeah. Yeah, I've been playing more now to try to uh, get my son to um, into music and sort of fend off the. Uh, the, the rampant Protestant tone deafness of his mother's side of the family. Yes. <laughs> so, so I do do it a bit. He tends to like my old stuff, you know. It's, it's always the same, isn't it? You know, they never yeah, like they never new want album. To hear. Yeah, that's always always the case. What do you like to play? Uh, I like to play a bit of blues, a bit of country, and obviously the entire repertoire of the Wiggles. Yep. Who's high on uh, the Hildebrand rotation right now? Uh Look, there's a, there's a there's a there's a few. I like a bit of. Uh, obviously, I I try to play as many um, originals as possible, but he doesn't seem to respond as well to them as he does to mash banana, mash banana, or hot potato, hot potato. <laughs> um, I do a nice version of uh, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree, mm-hmm. um, which I, I ripped off uh, another uh, children's performer called Susie mm. Tallman, uh, but fortunately, obviously, Men at Work ripped off the whole thing when they did uh, Land Down Under. So I feel like my plagiarism sort of pales in comparison. <laughs> I don't think there'll be too many royalties they expect you to cough up. I don't know. If I make it big, they'll come after me. Don't you worry about that. The Twitterati will be after me. Do you make your own luck, Joe? Um. I think you make your own luck by saying yes. I think, I think I know mm-hmm. I'm 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 someone who has always been uh, crippled by the uh, the twin evils of uh, great expectations, but a complete lack of ambition. <laughs> and so I've always believed I was destined for greatness, but never could be bothered doing anything about it. Yep. And fortunately, in my case that system has worked. Um, you meant to laugh there, Steve. That was a joke. I, I would say, <laughs> to be fair, Joe, you are a successful broadcaster, a successful writer. How is any of that a joke? Well, I think it's, um, I, I've, I've done it. I've only done that. I haven't done that. I know a lot of people who work like the clappers to, to get to that position and they get their groove on and they hustle and mm. they really uh, work at the craft, whereas I feel I've sort of almost fallen into it thanks to the um, the, the great uh, patronage of people I've been lucky enough to meet who have, despite myself, uh, thought, you know, well, we'll stick him up. So my thing has always been just, you know, if someone asks me to do something, I'll say, yeah, I'll give it a go, absolutely. I don't, um, I don't get precious about things. I don't say, you know what? I'm not sure if that rectal examination will really work on live TV. I say, stick it up there. Let's have a go. Let's have a go. One finger. You know what? Make it two fingers. That's how I got my prostate checked on live TV. Was that something you needed much talking into? (laughs) Well, it took a bit of talking into the doctor to give me two fingers instead of one. Apparently that costs extra. (laughs) God, Joe. But um, <laughs> but the rest was pretty much gravy. And, and look, it highlights uh, an important part of every man's life, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Except the next day I found out you could get it from a blood test. 
Oh. So you don't ever, you don't even need the finger. Although the, that's hotly contested. I think that's like one of those weird vaxxer anti-vaxxer arguments that'll have people going nuts for the next three hundred years. But yeah. yeah, but they could have just given me a bloody blood test. Literally a bloody out, blood test. I think I need a blood test. <laughs> um, in a crisis or an argument, yes, and I'm sure you're familiar with both of those. Are you fight or flight? I think always. I think always, always, well, God, now I'm equivocating. I'm the worst opinionated <laughs> aunt in the world. Um, I think you, you always fight. You have to argue. If something's important, um, you fight. Yes. Uh, if something is not important, you just ignore. So if people are, um, I've learned probably too late in life that when people are outraged about ridiculous things, um, in particular things that they've just invented in their own head that have nothing to do with anything you've done, but they just feel like getting angry and outraged about stuff. There's no point in fighting. You've got to pick your battles um, mm. in life. Um, but certainly if it's something that you, uh, that you care about, you've got to have the argument. And, and one of the things that troubles me about the new paradigm or whatever the – are we allowed to swear on this show? Please whatever the fuck we're living in at the moment, uh, is that the response from a lot of people on both sides, that's my dog. My dog is very antisocial. Dog's also racist and homophobic. I'm disgusted at it. Doesn't like you swearing either. Well, it's ironic because the dog's actually a lesbian, but it's somehow a homophobic lesbian. She likes other female dogs. (laughs) But when it comes to female humans of of a certain persuasion, she reacts very violently. So I don't know, maybe there's a lesbian outside. But anyway. Don't get me wrong. I love lesbians. So now I'm in trouble again. Anyway, yes. so I think certainly if uh, if it's important, you have to fight, but you have to win the argument. So the fight is not to destroy the other person. The fight is to win the argument and to, to convey your ideas and to hope that they're better than other people's ideas. Now, there's a lot of people who are never going to accept that any idea is better than their ideas, and they're often people whose ideas are borrowed from other people. So... Hmm. So, you know, you have a bunch of sort of russet on ideologues on both sides of politics who will just, you know, parrot the thought of whoever spoke to them last. It's just it's just whoever got to them last, which is often the way in politics. Like, oh, 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 you say, oh yeah, actually I changed my mind because someone else. If you have if you have a sort of independent and analytical mind, uh, it can often be a lonely place, sort of stuck somewhere in the middle where you've got both sides shooting at you. And uh, magically, only managing to hit you and not each other, which is a shame. But um, but the trick is to have the argument. The problem these days is that victory in a political debate seems to be cast as not having the argument, but shutting down the argument. So if anyone says mm. something that people don't agree with, on either side, they say, "Well, they shouldn't be allowed to say that. They should be banned for saying that, or they should be sacked for saying that, or they should be taken to court for saying that, or that these comments are unacceptable." You know, the word unacceptable really troubles me. Um, like, who on earth gets to decide what's acceptable or not? You know, isn't that a dictatorship? It would come down to the content of what's being said, wouldn't it? Well, I'm not sure in a free society that it does. I think in a free society you have to accept all uh, points of view, as long as they're not advocating violence against people, as long as they're mm-hmm. not, as long as they're not uh, advocating harm. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking obviously about 
real harm, genuine harm, not sort of, well, yes. these sorts of comments might encourage someone somewhere to go and do this. Blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a very clear distinction between, say, for example, advocating or justifying terrorism. Mm -hmm. uh, that is obviously, uh, that's not unacceptable. That's illegal. That's morally uh, morally reprehensible and, and the laws uh, allow that. It's, you know, murdering someone or advocating someone to murder someone is not a matter of opinion. That's clearly uh, against everything a free society stands for because, ironically, you're depriving that person of their life and their right to any sentience and to any point of view uh, to the joys of <laughs> sheer existence. But the idea that an opinion sort of outside the real extremes, the idea that some opinions are allowed and others are disallowed and that this is the way it should be, I think is a very troubling sort of trend that we've seen recently. Now, I say this as someone who would consider myself a progressive, mm. but, but about people who would consider themselves progressives too and probably more progressive than I am. When people around you, particularly people you care about, uh, disagree, yep. are you someone who watches, actively takes a part, or is a, a peacemaker, wants to resolve that? Uh, it depends how drunk I am. <laughs> it, there was uh, quite a famed uh, argument in my circle of friends where uh, a lovely friend of mine uh, turned out after uh, several beers and probably more than several bottles of wine to be <laughs> anti-vaxxer. Oh, yes, um, hello. And and she was sort of, you know, saying, but, you know, oh, we don't know about the science and I know someone who knew someone, and, you know, and mm. they got vaccinated and the next thing you know, they got hit by lightning or whatever it is they're arguing now. And I sort of went a bit. You know, I said, oh, look, that's just horseshit. Come on. Like, that's just, it's just not true. It's just not mm. true. And again, there's, you know, there's opinion, but there's, there's also stuff that's just not true. You know, you can, yes. you can have an opinion that the sky is purple or that, well, sometimes it is, you know, getting some nice sunsets. The sky is green, you know, and you can say, well, that's my opinion and I've got a right to it. And you do. You can say that till the cows come home, but you can't pretend it's true. We know that it's not true, that the sky is green. Sure. We know we know that you know concrete is hard, at least when you fall on flat on your face, which I also mm. discovered at university. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, so I arced up about it and blah blah blah. And my um, uh, very good friend of mine who was there as well said, "Jeez, Jake, you're really making it, you know, a word that rhymes with bunt of yourself." And uh, and you know, the next day I said, "Oh, look, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have." Hacked up about that, and um, the girl in question says, "Oh no, it's fine. It's just, you know, just Joe being Joe. It's just you being you." So that was nice, wasn't it? What was the question? Oh, no, it, it ponders. It opens up some interesting questions, doesn't it? That because you know we we often refer to alcohol as a social lubricant, um, and that depending on how much you've had, I think certainly if you've had a lot to drink, the words that come out of your mouth. I don't – some people disagree with me. I don't think that those words are necessarily close-held thoughts or values. They're just stuff that comes out of a drunken head. That is often, um, often true, although the Romans had a saying in, in – what was it? In wino est veritas, which is in wine there is truth. 
and apologies to anyone who speaks Latin who wants to pick hmm. up on my pronunciation. So I, I think, think in a little bit of wine, there's truth, but not a lot, surely. Well, sometimes I don't. I don't know many people, for example, who uh, you know. I've I've never been a particularly uh, violent drunk or angry drunk. Uh, mm. I'm sure I've done many, many. I know I've done. Well, I'm told I've done many things that I'd certainly regret. But you know, I, I don't know many people who are like that, where there's not some underlying cause of of the anger or of the violence. So I know people mm. have had troubled uh, histories where when they get drunk, things get rough, things get nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of that many people who are uh, completely uh, well-balanced and happy human beings and then when they get drunk just turn into someone completely different. I think there's always something underlying there. I think you can still sort of manage the manage the problem. I don't think that, mm-hmm. that just means that everyone should just get as drunk as they want to all the time and devil take the hindmost. But I, I think if, if you want to talk about um, problems relating, say, for example, to alcohol-related violence, I think you have to start not with, you know, you can, you can mitigate the problem by doing things like fixing opening hours or access to booze yes. or the number of bottle shops or, you know, no go zones after three three a.m. or whatever it is, but unless you actually address the root cause of of these people's lives, um, I don't think you're going to fully solve the problem. And so I, th- I think that to fix lives, you have to fix lives when they begin, which is you know literally when they begin. It starts with early childhood education, the way parents bring kids up, mm. and goes all the way through. Got a bit heavy for you, didn't it, Steve? No, no, that's, I, I enjoy this kind of conversation. That's the whole point of this podcast, Joe. Mm. Well, I'm here for it. Great. What's the most exciting thing you've ever done? Well, apart from uh, sitting here talking with you, which I should, uh, for the sake of a full disclaimer, say that is done while I'm enjoying a beer. Um, <laughs> uh I'm just trying to think. I, I nearly. I've always been someone who um, the most exciting thing probably I ever did, not to be too boring about it, was leaving home at 17 and moving to the big city and and living on my own, albeit while mm. you know, borrowing and stealing large quantities of cash from my poor poverty-stricken mother. But uh, but that that was the big sort of, you know awakening for me that was that was when life sort of took off and then I did all sorts of bloody crazy things I did every you know every drug under the sun I did all sorts of stupid stuff you know tried to shag anything that moved sometimes successful sometimes not um and and so that was my big sort of uh awakening but these days I'm a very meek and anxious and cautious man I drive very, 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 very cautiously, except in car parks for some reason. In car parks, I turn into a monster. I don't know why that is. Is it the the chase for the park, or is it that it has the or the, the perception in your mind that it's safer? Well, yeah, I think it, I think it's not not the chase for the park because I like to. Um, I've got a bit of OCD going on, so I like to park in the same spot 
every time on the same little bit. When I go to Bunnings and go to the local shopping centre, I always park in the same bit, even if it might be the furthest possible point from wherever it is we're actually meant to go, which drives my yeah. life slowly but inevitably <laughs> to further extremes of insanity. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. She just pointed it out to me. I think in undercover car parks in particular uh, really do it to me. I just think that I've just got to get out of this place. You know, I've just got to, I, you know, I can't be in here. Nothing, nothing, no, nothing works. Nothing fits. You know, there doesn't seem to be any sort of reason to them. Everyone in front of you is always going so slow. I don't know. Maybe it's claustrophobia. I was going to ask. Maybe, are it other... to, maybe it's Freud. Maybe it's all about the womb. Are there other parts of your life that make you feel like that? Uh, not really. No. It's a, I see, I think I'm someone who uh, uh, I'm, I'm crippled by. I can handle big, big problems, but small mm. problems just infuriate me. So I can, you know, I can bang out a, you know, a, a treatise to solve the Middle East peace crisis in half an hour. But if I have to choose between a pair of socks, then I'm screwed for the whole day. <laughs> you know, I can understand, I can understand politics. I can understand the way things move at the macro level. I can sort of understand how the economy works or big organizations work or how the running of the country works, even how the running of the world works. I've got a sort of gut instinct for the way that people make decisions and why they're doing it and enough kind of general knowledge to sort of piece those two sort of elements together and think, right, well, this is why we're doing this and this is what mm -hmm. we should do here. But the little things just kill me. They just kill me. And, and life is made up of little things. And so I move very slowly, except in car parks. <laughs> Where the little things are a little bigger. That's right. Where every, everything's little, even the space is a little. Ludicrously so. Yeah, just it hurts me, Steve. It hurts me. I, I hear your pain, Joe. I know. It's, I often feel like the the computer where it's the screen's just gone blank and there's just a little wheel spinning around. Oh, you just described you think, my nightmare. Yeah, you think, well, why am I here? What's the point? What next? How do I reboot? Is there an afterlife? That's a tough one because I'm technically a Catholic now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm just taking a, a pensive breath to think of that. Um, there's not in the sense that uh, we all go. I actually I did a series of articles about this um, uh, at my own initiation for The Telegraph, which I thought would be a brilliant idea, which I called An Interview with God. I thought, who's the, who's mm -hmm. the ultimate person you could interview or indeed the ultimate non-person, the ultimate being you could interview? I thought, God. Like that's the greatest mm. scoop of all time, surely. So I pitched this idea for a series of pieces that I write uh, where I talk to the leaders of all the major faiths about what God actually meant. And the idea was that we'd run it sort of over the Easter period and it'd be a, a, a huge uh, life-changing, world-changing event. Uh, obviously that didn't happen. But <laughs> I did get to speak to a lot of interesting people and, and it was strange that... Um, 
the literalism that, uh, like I spoke to the head of the Anglican church and he was talking about how heaven was an actual place and you would actually physically go there and mm. there would be people. Yeah, and I just, I just thought, how, how would you find the room? Like it's hard enough getting a place in bloody Sydney, let alone <laughs> having everyone who's ever died vying for some real estate in heaven where everyone's got to have a fucking water view. No, how would you do it? So uh, I don't think it exists. The in miracle that of heaven. Yeah, well, no, well, that's right. That's part of the mystery. Um, I think it's. I think if there is an afterlife, um, it is the way you are remembered and the way your time on Earth has uh, infused others um, with your with your goodness and with your being. I think, mm. uh, and I think that's probably what depending on who you listen to and there's a lot of people to listen to, but, um, you know, I, I, I think most religions, if you look at them, tell you to lead a good life and they sort of put the carrot in front of you and say, well, you know, if you do that, you'll go to heaven or whatever. But that's, that's often the way the, the worst of the adherents think of it. It's mm-hmm. the worst, it's the, it's the worst religious people or people of faith or thoughtful people, even agnostic people who, who think, well, if I do this good work, I'll go to heaven. The good ones, of course, think, well, if I do this good work, I will have done good. And that is an end of itself, an end in itself. And, and they are the ones who will be most, uh, most fondly remembered, who will have made the most difference in their lives to other people. And that, of course, is the true heaven, that, that, that when you die, you live on through the, the things that you've made better on earth. And I think that is the true afterlife. Do you have any specific or special tradition uh, or traditions that you hold dear at Christmas time? Uh, yes, well, I got confirmed the Catholic Church because my parents forgot to do it when I was a kid because they were hippies, um, so that I could go to, so I could go to mass at Christmas time. So I'm, I have been able to do it in the past, and I haven't indeed done it in the past, but I've never been able to take communion before. Yes, so I will now be able to do that and not just look like a uh, a, a Satanist blow in, or or even worse, a Protestant plant. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that um the the other equally if not far more important thing is at christmas time you must have a real tree plastic mm. christmas trees are the work of the devil <laughs> yes you know i mean seriously i mean christ gets born and then he gets nailed to a bloody cross when he's just coming into his own in the 30s you know in his 30s you know he's just getting along in life, you know, it's just starting to, you know, reach up the old career ladder that next thing you know, he's nailed a bloody tree and you can't even be bothered getting a real one. <laughs> so, yeah, plastic Christmas trees, spawn of Satan. Um, the only thing worse than that, obviously, is the white plastic Christmas trees. Yeah. That's just horrible. You know, if you have a white plastic Christmas tree and I realise that, this may offend some people, but you are against God. <laughs> oh, never short of big claims, Joe Hildebrand. Well, someone's got to say it, you know. You won't find that in the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs>
I accept I am in the mainstream media. But apart from that. <laughs> Will Santa Claus come to you, or does Santa Claus come to your place now that you've got a child? Uh, yes, he will. And yeah, my child will believe in Santa Claus. I like to call him Father Christmas, but yes, my child will yes. um, believe in Santa Claus until he's probably about, oh, I don't know, maybe 32, 33. Great. Um, do you want to adopt me? Yes, I will. Yes, I will, Steve. I do want to adopt you. Um, and because I think it's, I think there's there's time enough in life for being cynical and disillusioned and miserable at the state of the world. You might as well keep the magic going for as long as you can. As for the tooth fairy, well, the jury's still out, you know. Seems a bit pagan to me. What does the tooth fairy do with all the teeth it collects? Exactly. It's creepy when you think about it, isn't it? You put them it has to be concerned. Does he put them in a giant mountain, you know, a mountain of teeth? Which are just small bones, really, when you think about it. So a mountain of bones, mm. you know, in a little lair. Wasn't it the Simpsons that suggested that inside every spray can is a kid's tooth? Uh, I would believe that. I'm yet to see any evidence to the contrary. So as far as we go, as far as uh, theories go, I think that's definitely the front runner. I also believe uh, that the Simpsons is the highest form of human art ever constructed. It is the absolute zenith of human creativity. So obviously not the later series, but still. <laughs> so, but there'll be no arguments from me on that. Yeah. But some, there's some, somewhere in the 90s, something incredible happened where The Simpsons was just right about everything mm. without really ever trying to be right about anything. It was just an amazing time to be alive. In fact, the 90s was about the perfect – I think the 90s was when civilization was in – not the perfect balance, but the best balance it could possibly hope to be in. You had just enough technology, but not too much. If you said you were going to meet someone somewhere, you still had to go there and meet them because no one had mobile phones, so they'd actually have to show up and be there. Mm. There's a bit of excitement when you went home and you know hit the button on the answering machine if you're rich enough to afford one of those and you know find out if your girlfriend had called you or if she was running off with that other bloody bloke she was always hanging around with. You know, <laughs> yes. there was there was still room for mystery. I don't know if there's any room for mystery in the world anymore. I mean, we've got bloody drones and, and, and satellite photos that can pinpoint, you know, where Kim Kardashian is from outer space. Where's the mystery, Steve? Isn't Where's it just a different mystery now, though? Well, I don't know. What is the mystery? Or does it make what we don't know even more mysterious? There's there's still the, the larger mysteries, I guess, around, you know, life on other planets. Can we colonise Mars? Though we, I believe we are going to try and solve that in the next 50 years. I think you'll find um, that Damon has already solved that problem. And yes, we can. I can't wait for that film. Yeah, that's going to be pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, what if it just, what if it just becomes inevitable? I mean, according to the, the, the probabilities, there's inevitably life on other planets. It's just that they're probably not that interesting like if there, there were, some, if there were more yeah. advanced if there were, if there were other planets if there are other beings on other planets more advanced than we are then they would have already discovered us as opposed to just speaking to tom cruise or moonshine drinkers in alabama yep and then we'd be screwed because we'd be the lesser species. So they'd just wipe us out or use us for pet food or whatever it is that aliens do these days. 
So the most we can hope for is that there is other life out there, but that mm. we're the smartest ones so that we can use them for pet food or reach out and create a brotherhood of intergalactic connectivity. Uh, Either or. I guess there's one other. Um, there, there are smaller mysteries, like what is Malcolm, our Prime Minister, sharing on Wicca? See, you're young and tech-savvy. I don't even know what Wicca is. Is that like it's what a, they used to make chairs out of? It used to be. Now it's a um, a, a destructive, very private messaging oh, These are text messages that they send to each other that that destroy themselves yes. after being read. Yeah, so I kind of like that. It's a bit like Mission Impossible. Yes. So, you know, you say, yeah, I'm going to roll Tony, and then it's gone. Mm. What Snapchat could have been. Exactly. I think Snapchat, but Snapchat has the pictures, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So I think that would have been better because then it could have been, I'm going to roll Tony, smiley face. <laughs> and What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months, Joe? Oh, I have no idea. If I'm still employed, I'll be grateful. I just want to, I just want to, you know, stay alive like the BD song. And didn't that work out well for them? One of the three. Yeah, well, the handsome one's still going, but still, you know, they say Meatloaf said two out of three ain't bad. Well, one out of three, that is bad. (laughs) Truth for the ages. Practice what you preach. That's all I'm saying. Gonna say, stay alive, stay alive. But yeah, all I want to do is stay alive. Joe, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Look, like I said, I'm not an ambitious man. Yes. Thank you very much, Joe. It's been absolutely pleasure. The things that you've shared with us today, I, I really appreciate it. I want you to know that you're highly valued and, and I really appreciate our time together today. Thank oh, you. You are highly valued to me, so it's been an absolute pleasure. Love your work. Obviously, you're on Twitter, Joe. Are there other social media accounts you want to admit to? Uh, not really. I used to be on Facebook and I didn't really know what to do with it and then they changed it to a Facebook page. Um, and so now I've got a Facebook page, but it won't let me do a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know. Work made it for me. And, but I'm there, like I put things on it and I can like things and reply mm. to people who say things. I'm not very tech savvy, am I? This is not what you want. And I'm on Instagram, but I've never actually posted a photo. Um, I just, I joined it so that I could like photos of Sarah Harris. Now that sounds I think creepy. that's good. Well, that sounds creepy, but I think that you've joined and you haven't posted sounds good because it means that there's a real air of mystery about what you're doing. Well, it's a, it's a very postmodern approach. I'll give you that. Mm. It's, it's very zen. It's like, what it'll if be I'm its on own... Instagram, but I'm not on Instagram? It'll be its own art installation project next year, perhaps. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the MCA. I think they'd be very interested. The Instagram photos of Joe Hildebrand. Yeah, just nothing but, nothing but <laughs> blank. Blank Empty frames. Mm. I, I reckon it'd go off. It'd probably be the most interesting exhibition they've had for a while. <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Joe underscore Hildebrand is indeed human. Thank you very much, Steve. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> <laughs>